Good morning, everybody. So, thank you. Um, yeah, I was excited this morning. I actually got to put some lipstick on because I don't have to wear a mask when I'm standing up here. So, <laughs> I don't think I've worn lipstick much for like two years. So, um, yes. So, welcome, everybody. Welcome to those who are watching online this morning. Thank you for joining us today. Um, if you are one of the people that have been very diligent and are on track with the Bible reading, you were probably pretty excited on Wednesday because <laughs> Deut Deuteronomy was left behind and you would have started reading Joshua. So that is the end of what we call the Torah in the Bible, which is the first five books of the Bible, and we're now moving on to some other things. Now, if, you have, if you're not up to date with the Bible reading or you've just gone, no, that's I will do my own thing, that is fine. But I am today going to share some thoughts that have been um, inspired through spending some time in Joshua. So I've actually kind of, to confession time, I skipped Deuteronomy and jumped ahead to Joshua. And so I've spent about a month just on Joshua, just because I knew I was preaching and I just wanted to really just dwell on it and find out what I felt God wanted to say today. So little um so we, i'm going to share a message out of joshua now lots of people go yeah joshua that's great book it's you know they the israelites finally they've escaped out of, or they've been chucked out of egypt pharaoh finally tossed them when all the plagues got too much <clears throat> moses got them over the um the sea they then wandered around the desert for a while because they didn't follow god's law until eventually Joshua leads them over the Jordan into the promised land. And um, yeah, then the, the first thing, they, you know, they, their victory over Jericho, which is a real miracle. And so everybody's very excited about Joshua. But if you've been reading on, it's actually a bit of a gruesome book. There's lots of stuff in there. I'm, I'm reading it going, what am I going to preach out of this? Like, it's pretty full on. And so, you know, really prayed that God would show me what to kind of present. So I, I've brought it down. I really, what I want to talk about today is how do we deal with conflict and there's some really violent parts of Joshua and we can kind of go why is that even there why did God allow those things but and I, I kind of I'm to be honest putting that over there in the too hard basket and go well, what can we actually take away from that so let's all of us in our lives will be facing conflicts, whether it is in our families, whether it's dealing with teenage children or toddlers or um, work situations, um, in, what it, in our lives, we cannot avoid conflict. It is going to pop up. We are, dealing, we are humans. We are dealing with humans. It is going to happen. It might even be conflict over the fact that you're a Christian. And so there are people who push back on that because of your faith position. So there are all sorts of things that come up in our lives. Um, so Joshua, there have been a whole lot of victories um, to the Israelite people. They'd finally got to a place where they actually, the, the land of Canaan was theirs. And Joshua allocated land. And so all of the tribes were given their land. And so they finally had a home and a place. And the, the 12 tribes were all allocated a space. And um, in Joshua 22, it talks, talks about um, God being very pleased with the people. So, sorry, I just need to, well, oh, I should have had this scripture ready. Oh, sorry, my Bible's gone funny.
So Joshua summoned the Reubenites, the Gadites, Joshua 22, beginning of the chapter. Joshua summoned the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, and said to them, you have done all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded, and you have obeyed me in everything I have commanded. So he's very pleased with them. For a long time now, to this very day, you have not deserted your fellow Israelites, but have carried out the mission that the Lord your God gave you. Now he's pointing that out because their land was actually on the other side of the river. So they were on one side and the rest of the others were on the other side and they'd stayed, they hadn't returned to their lands, they'd stayed on the eastern side and supported the Canaanites, or might be the other way around, I can't remember my directions, but anyway, they'd all stayed together. Um, So God says, now that the Lord your God has given them rest and as he promised, return to your homes in the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. But be very careful to keep the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you, to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to keep his commands, to hold fast to him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Then Joshua blessed them and sent them away and they went to their homes. So they crossed back and they went home to their land. And so God was really pleased with them. But he had said, look, make sure you follow me, follow the law. Um, I sat in on the session that Tim, well, it was online, but Tim Scott did a fantastic session about the law. And it is such a tricky thing sometimes to understand that. But, and we sometimes think, well, you know, why weren't people allowed to eat this or do that or whatever it was? But the main point of it is, it is the law is to direct us back to God. And it's to remind us who God is and to remind us that we should be following God. And that's what God has just reminded the tribes to do. Make sure that you are following me in all that you do. That's why you need to follow the law. And so he'd done that reminder and he had sent them off. Then in verse 10, when they came to Geliloth near the Jordan in the land of Canaan, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, it's a half-tribe because for some reason half were on one side of the river and the other were on the other side, but anyway. So we will call them the half-tribe of Manasseh. Built an imposing altar there by the Jordan. And when the Israelites heard that they had built the altar on the border of, the Ca- of Canaan at Geliloth, near the Jordan on the Israelite side, the whole assembly of Israel gathered at Shiloh to go to war against them. Now, that one verse is saying a lot, all right? The whole assembly of Israel gathered at Shiloh to go to war against them. Now, this is a a tribe that have been in the wilderness for generations. They have just been settled in their land. They've just fought all of these battles and God is pleased. And they're all settled. They're finally home. And now they're planning and gathering. And we're not talking about 100 people. We are talking about tens of thousands of people who have now all suddenly gathered together and have decided they're going to go to war with their own brothers and sisters. So the Gadites, the Reubenites and the half-tribe of Manasseh are their own tribes. So I'm going, hang on a minute, what's going on here? You're suddenly now, having kicked out all these other people from the lands, going to fight your own people. What is going on? Well, one of the reasons was that was because those tribes, as they left, built an altar. And there are things in De- there are laws in Deuteronomy around where you can and can't build an altar. And so that it actually was a righteous anger 
They were actually angry with their fellow tribes for breaking the law of God, particularly when God had just said, faithful people, go back to your lands, but make sure you follow me. All right, so they're coming from that place. And, and I guess maybe there's also a groundswell of things. Like you can kind of think of it in a community, you know, like some people get angry. Oh, I've heard that they've built an altar. And then, you know, the neighbours said, well, I've heard that they actually built three altars. I heard that it's the biggest altar that's ever been built. I've heard that they've started to slaughter wild animals as offerings. Oh, did you hear? They're now killing and eating owls. Now, if, you've, if you read through Deuteronomy, <laughs> you will know there's all sorts of weird rules. And one of the things, for some reason, you're not allowed to eat owls. But anyway, um, but can you imagine that? Like, you know, the talk goes on and people in the rumours are starting and then you, you get this great big fervour that starts to build up and suddenly they are gathering, not just to be angry, but they are about to go to war. So we are talking major conflict here. This has really got them very stirred up. So the whole assembly has gathered at Shiloh and they are ready to go. The thing is, God knows that there is likely to be conflict in our worlds. He knows us. He knows people. He, you know, he knows the history of what's happened. And he'd already set up some advice in Deuteronomy. So if you could bring up Deuteronomy 13, verse 12. In this scripture, I don't know if I've got the full scripture, um, if you hear it said about one of the towns the Lord your God is giving you to live in, that troublemakers have arisen among you and have led the people of their town astray, saying, let us go and worship other gods, gods you have not known, then you must inquire, probe and investigate it thoroughly. And then it goes on to say what you would do. That's the scripture I really want to focus on there. You must inquire and probe and investigate. God knew that conflict would come our way. So he'd said, make sure if something comes up that is not right, you need to inquire, probe, investigate, find out, like look into it, ask questions. We're not supposed to just jump in and go to war. So actually the people were wise and they decided that they would send Phineas, who was so I can't remember the exact connection. He was somehow connected into those tribes, so they weren't just sending a biased investigator. But they sent Phineas in off to investigate, along with at least one representative from each tribe. So it's a bit like having a jury, I suppose, or a team of in neutral investigators or fairly investigating it. And they went off to investigate what was happened. They asked questions. So if you read the rest of Joshua 22, they asked lots of questions. They found out. They, they went off and said, well, look, hang on a minute. You're not supposed to be building altars and the law says this and the law says that. What the heck are you doing? And then the, the Reubenites, Gadites and half-tribe of Manasseh said, hang on a minute. This is actually an altar to God. We wanted to celebrate the fact and we wanted to have a, an altar that remembered the fact that we have had victory, that we have finally got our lands and we want to sort of set a hallmark so that we will remember and our children will remember and our children's children will remember. This is not to worship other gods. This is because we worship the same God and we are here and we are setting a landmark. And so they, um, they convinced them, they reported back, that, no, we haven't, we haven't broken the law. We're actually adding to the law. We're doing what is right. We, we are worshipping the same God. 
Um, you could read the whole chapter, um, but the, um, I won't do that now. Um, but Phineas then returned back to the Israelites, to those that are all camped at Shiloh, that are all getting fired up, ready to go to war, and said, hang on a minute, it's okay. And they reported back, they explained the situation, and the Israelites were, in verse 38 it says, the Israelites were glad to hear the report and praise God. They accepted that report and went, okay, good, right, this is all okay, we accept that, we're not going to go to war. They, and they talked no more about going to war. So that conflict, potential disaster amongst their own people, a, a civil war, right, was offset by following the wisdom that God had set up in Deuteronomy 13, right, to investigate, to probe, to inquire, to ask Rather than jumping to conclusions, rather than assuming that they've built an altar to other gods, that they're not worshipping God, that they're breaking the law, they're eating owls, whatever they were assuming, all right, they investigated first and they asked questions. And I think there's a very important biblical principle there that is part of what we need to get into our hearts when we are faced with conflict. So this morning, I want to talk a little bit about dealing with conflict. So the rest, this is kind of a little bit practical in terms of, I guess, some of what I've learned over the years. I'm not a spring chicken anymore. I've, I've been a mum with little kids. Um, I've been a teacher for a long time working with teenagers who I love, but there's lots of people that say, how the heck do you work with teenagers? But I love working with teenagers and um, my current, my, I've got a new job this year and I work a lot more with teenagers that aren't doing the right thing now. And so I've, I'm more than ever having to put some of these principles into place in the, with the people that I work with. And again, it could be in our work, in our family. There's something here I, I know that you can take away in whatever realm you are in, whether it's even for you as a parent in the way that you deal with your children. So what can we learn about dealing with conflict from Joshua 2022 and from the, that sort of biblical principle that God set up in Deuteronomy 13 about asking, inquiring, probing? So I've got five quick points. These are not the only things, but these are just five that I've chosen to talk about. One is that when, we, when we're confronted with um, a, a conflict situation, I guess particularly if somebody is coming at us that in an angry way, or for me, if I'm dealing with a um, student at school who's misbehaved, I still make sure I speak to them with respect. All right, so my first point this morning is to make sure that in any conflict situation that we still speak with respect. We're dealing with another person. Right? We don't necessarily know their perspective. The Israelites didn't know the perspective of the other tribes. And they, would jump, they, they jumped to a conclusion in some respects, with, and, but fortunately investigated. So we need to make sure we speak with respect. If we don't speak with respect, we're just going to make the conflict worse. Yeah. Right? We, we're, not, we're making any chance of healing that relationship even harder. So we need to speak with respect. In Colossians 4 verse 6, it says... Your speech should always be gracious and sprinkled with insight so that you know how to respond to every person. Is that what that... Oh, that one says seasoned with salt. I don't know what version I found, but the, I love that version that said sprinkled with insight. All right? We need to pray for wisdom in all of these scenarios. And when we speak, make sure that we're asking God to show us what's happening. So your speech should always be gracious 
and sprinkled with insight so that you may know how to respond to every person. In Ecclesiastes 10 verse 12, it says, words from the mouth of the wise are gracious, but fools are consumed by their own lips. And remember, that's not just words when we're calm and when things are going well. Everything that comes out of our mouth in all circumstances needs to be gracious. And Proverbs 16, 21, the wise in heart are called discerning and gracious, and gracious words promote instruction. There's one for the parents. The wise in heart are called discerning, and gracious, gracious words promote instruction. Now, that's all well and good if we're in a conflict situation, particularly with maybe a teenager who's done the wrong thing and we're very cross, uh, a toddler that's not doing the right thing at the moment, maybe less opportunity to reason there. Sometimes with you might just have to say no because that's what you need to do because they're about to do something. I'm not talking about they're about to touch the oven here. I'm talking about when we're negotiating some sort of situation. Um, we can be angry, you know, we might be frustrated, we're riled up, you know, the teacher in the classroom who's really cross because that child has just done it again. They're the times where we're the adult though and we need to make sure that we are calming ourselves down, even if it means, and this is what I have sometimes advise to teachers, you might need to turn around, count to 10, take two big breaths and then turn back. Or you might even have to just walk away and then come back and deal with it. All right? Because if we fire off in the moment, we're not going to be able to speak with respect, okay? One of the um, fruits of the Spirit is self-control. And that's something we need to all really be asking for so that in these hard times, we can still come out of that place of graciousness. Um, I guess one of the things I've learned as a teacher, when I'm like that and I'm fired up and I'm about to, like, what are you doing? I'll lower my voice, goes very deep, and I'll slow down and talk quite slowly. And it's like, what are you doing? But that, even the fact that you slow down your speech is slowing down your breathing. It's slowing, you know, all of that. It's a simple trick. And I, I inside, I am really, really cross. But even something as simple as that, right? Lowering your voice, slow down your speech, and also speaking softly, right? So you can still be quite firm, right? What? are you doing without yelling, without projecting really loud, and it actually can be still quite effective. Um, works well with a dog too, if you lower your voice. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> and as I said, if, if sometimes you just need to walk away for a moment, right? If, if something's happened and, and it's not dangerous, like obviously if it's a dangerous scenario with a young child, deal with it. But sometimes we need to walk away and compose ourselves and then come back and deal with the situation because it, we want to deal with it with respect and with calm and with graciousness. The second thing is from that scripture, probe, inquire, investigate. I've put down the point, ask questions and listen. Right, ask questions and listen. And that's that advice from that scripture. Inquire, probe, investigate. Um, in school settings and in legal settings too, they use an approach called restorative practices. But I think it's, there's a, a basis to it which would be a, a great tool for parenting as well. And it comes, it, it comes from a foundation of seeking to understand that in all situations there's always two sides to a story and you need to seek to understand what's going on. And that's something I've learned that's very powerful. But I've been using it a lot this year, obviously, in my new role. I do a lot of wellbeing and behaviour management stuff in my new job. And um, 
I'll have to talk to a student. I, I might know the full scenario. Right? I already know that this person I'm about to talk to has been bullying, that they actually have been physically bullying. I, I've got some background on what's happened. I could even have seen some, um, some videos, some CCTV, and I, so I've seen it. All right? But I'll come in with questions. Tell me about what happened the other day at the lockers with so-and-so. And just ask questions and let them tell me what happened. And when you ask questions, one, one, I think one of the powerful things about that is it gives them a chance to kind of give their side of the story. It also gives them a chance to be honest rather than just going, oh, I heard that you and telling them what you know, all right? I get them to tell me because one of the things in that scenario I can do is commend them for their honesty. Right? Thanks for fessing up. My, and the kids I've dealt with so far, I think in every situation, maybe with a couple of prods to get a bit deeper into the story, have fessed up straight away. Right? They've known in their hearts that they've done the wrong thing. And so you can then go, look, thank you for your honesty. Right? We still need to deal with this situation, but you know, I can see that your heart has softened in this scenario. We're trying to teach them principles that will then allow them to think about their actions and have more empathy for others and all of those sorts of things. All right. But asking questions, seeking to understand is really important. We need to make sure that we don't assume the situation. I need to do that too because I don't know what's been going on in their world. Right? And so, I mean, often in scenarios like that, they'll talk about how they were provoked or what the other person has done. And there's probably an element of truth to that. Right? There's always two sides to a story. All right, and then I'll go, okay, yeah, that might be true, but we're going to deal with this because this is what you've done. Okay, I might talk to the other person and if there's something there, I'll follow that up. But we're dealing with you today and this is what, you know, so that's kind of the scenario you have to go through. But there are always two sides to a story. Um, and it's also, um, you know, if I have to then ring a parent and say, look, I'm sorry to call, but, you know, your child has been involved in some physical bullying and then blah, 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 blah. And that's not a phone call a parent wants to get. And they'll often get a bit defensive as well, but I'll always say, look, I know there's two sides to the story, okay? And we are talking to the other people involved because we want to restore the relationship, okay? And that's the whole philosophy of restorative practices. And, and that was where it, it actually came, the concept came out of uh, restorative justice in the law courts where they were wanting to get perpetrators and victims together, and they do in mediation and with um, talking to understand. And that's something that happened. I, I've not personally been involved in that, but I know that, that that is there in our court systems in Australia in certain scenarios. In James verse 1, 19 and 20, it says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak slow to, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Right, being quick to listen, we need to be careful that we are being thoughtful listeners. And that's the hard thing. I'm always sitting there going, just don't ask any more questions, Julie. Just listen. Stop. Don't ask. Just stop. Because I'll just want to go question, 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 and then throw in my two cents worth rather than just going, 
no, just listen, just listen, stop, just listen, because <laughs> we all want to jump in and say our two cents worth or pepper them with questions. We need to be, we need to listen, all right? Be quick to listen and listen deeply, all right? Be an active listen, listener. Um, some of that is one of, the, one of the tricks I use now is what I've heard you say is blah, 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 blah. So you repeat back to them what they've said to show that you have actually been listening, okay? Um, slow to become angry because we need to be patient, right? We need to be reflective. We need to be forgiving. And that's for us as Christians. Now, that may not be the response we're getting if we're dealing with non-Christian people and have different values in their lives, but it's really important that that's the space that we're coming from, okay? In the Amplified Version, um, verse 20 says, For the resentful, deep-seated anger of people does not produce the righteousness of God. That is the standard of behaviour which he requires from us. So in terms of our position in this, God's quite clear that if we're not actually slow to speak and slow to become angry, then we're in danger of crossing the line ourselves, okay? And, and sometimes we, you know, and we will have contributed sometimes to conflict, right? As I just said, there's two sides to the story. We're not innocent in this. So we need to be careful. So from that Deuteronomy 13 verse, it said, you must inquire, probe, and investigate it thoroughly. So that was my second point, ask questions and listen. Oh, I was just, just going to flag, if, you are interested, if you've not heard of restorative practices, I think there are some questions there that can actually be helpful in a family context too. If you Google it and look at images, you will find lots of different suggestions. But the kind of questions we ask in these scenarios, so, you know, I've just been, I was uh, sent a student on Friday afternoon. I don't, Friday afternoons, what was, what's with that? I remember about middle of the term, because it's a new job, it's been a tough term in schools, I can tell you, tougher than the last two years. It's funny, we're back at school and it's actually been harder. Um, about week six and I just went, I'm done, because I don't teach on Friday afternoons, I've got three lessons, no classes, and I just, I'm done, I'm out of here, like, just, no, nah, no more. What do you get? Lesson seven, Julie, I've got so-and-so here, they've just been sent out of class, can you, like, and I'm just going, no, <laughs> I've got nothing, <laughs> nothing, but I do, because I've got these restorative questions, so this is what I came back to, so, what were you thinking at the time? What were you thinking at the time? What have you thought about since? And that might not be a question you ask then. It might be a good question to ask a few days later when they've actually pondered it. Um, who's been affected what you've done? You usually have to probe a bit deeper in that way. Teenagers find it hard. Just, oh, well, my class. Like, well, who else specifically? Um, so, so you dig deeper with those things. Um, what do you think you need to do to make things right? Okay, and that's the restoration focus part. And I also add a little question, what do you think will happen if this happens again? Because I think we also need to know that this is not just about, oh, well, it's an easy out, just say the right thing, all right? And, you know, oh, it doesn't matter if I'm back in Mrs. Sampson's office. No, <laughs> there are consequences, right? It's not without consequence, but it is focusing on restoring relationship. Um, and you can, there's a similar set of questions you could ask for the victim as well, and that focuses more on what's been really hard for you in this situation, but asking them the same question, what do you think you can do to make this right? And so somebody who, they can, they can accept the, the apology, for example, you know, like getting them so that they're part of that restoration is really important. 
Point three. Um, oh, crikey. Um, be humble. Um, I think it's worth thinking about if it is it worth fighting for. And we know that with teenagers. Right? Is this argument really worth it or do we let this one go? And I'm not saying let it go in the sense of avoiding conflict and not facing it, but I think sometimes there are times where you, you fight the battles that are worth fighting. And so I think that's where, and in our Christian world, that can be important, particularly when we're dealing with non-Christians. Is it really worth fighting this fight? Or is restoring this relationship or me like not proving my point that I'm right, that that's not as important as being in re positive relationship with this person. So I think we need to think about that. In Hebrews um, 19, 11, it says, a person's wisdom yields patience. It is, the one, it is, it is to one's glory to overlook an offence. And so sometimes it might be that we just let it go because that's actually the more restorative thing to do in that situation. In Hebrews 12, it says, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Our witness to others is really powerful, particularly when we're dealing with non-Christians in terms of forgiving other people. So conflict is an opportunity for grace. And I really love this quote. It was from just... just in, you know, cruising the, the Google, uh, Google, Dr. Google to prepare for a sermon, came across this from a Baptist pastor in the United States. Um, conflict is a way, is an opportunity for grace. It's the way that, this is the way God does his deepest work in a world like ours. Not when things are peachy and when all things, when all seems right with the world, not when times are easy. It's the toughest times, the hardest conversations, the most painful relational tensions when the light of his grace shines brightest and transforms us most into his son's likeness. It's in those times that we are being transformed. We've been tra transformed into the righteousness of God. But it's also a witness and testimony to those around us who deal with conflict differently. Right? They're not using some of these principles in the way that they deal with conflict and that's one of the powerful things, working in a Christian school where I can actually actively share the love of God, but in any school working with restorative practices is teaching kids how to deal with conflict, right? How much better will their lives and their world be if they go into the world with those sorts of principles to deal with conflict, right, compared to some of the people that we know that don't deal with it so well? So, you know, we're wanting to deal with people to deal with people with love, with grace, mercy, kindness, respect, patience, humility, self-control. Some of those, you know, are the fruit of the Spirit. You know, we need those fruits in our life because that's how we want to deal with people. Uh, in Matthew 5, 9, it said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And to be a peacemaker doesn't mean that you avoid conflict. It means that in conflict, you make peace. That's what a peacemaker is, right? Somebody who makes peace in the play when there is conflict. Um, just briefly, my last point was to listen for what is behind the words. So when I'm asking those questions of kids, I'm also looking at their body language. I'm listening to the words they're saying. I might ask them about other things that are going on in their world at the time. You know, some kids come from really, they've had a really difficult time at home. We know that they're, a they're, they're in the middle of a family breakdown or something or other. So it's not surprising that they've gone off at a teacher in the classroom. 
Now, it doesn't excuse their behaviour, but it can help me to understand where the behaviour is coming from. And separately, in another occasion, we can also help them work in that space as well. So people who are in conflict with you, it might not actually be about you. It could be what you represent, for example. It could be what one of um, the lad who was in my office Friday afternoon, um, the deputy had been dealing with him already, male deputy, and he said, this kid has a real problem with male role figures because I'd had a really positive conversation and I've got, a, I've got a positive relationship with the student but every time he comes up against the deputy they butt heads and other teachers and so you know that's that observation gives us insight to try and work out how do we help this young person because they're going to have male role model role uh, male figures in their lives like a boss for example how are they going to deal with that if they haven't thought that through um, so people carry burdens, they might be just frustrated, angry, they might have fear, they might have misinformation, they might um, just be carrying some disappointments, or they might resent what you represent, okay? You might be a successful person and they're not. You might, as a Christian, they might resent your faith. They're actually very anti-Christian, maybe. Um, you might represent authority. So remember, it's not necessarily about you in those conflicts either. So that's where I think we need to listen for what's behind the words sometimes. That if you can do that as a, a parent of teenagers, that will take you a long way. All right? Rather than just looking at what they've just done that's made you really cross, what's behind that? Is it frustration at not having, you know, perhaps a few, a bit more freedom? Now that doesn't make it right, but it helps you understand where they're coming from and then you can have a conversation around that rather than just, this is what you did wrong, no, you're grounded for a week, okay? That will take us a long way in lots of scenarios. Last thing is to pray for the situation. Right, conflict's gonna happen in all of our lives and we can pray for ourselves and we can pray for the other people involved. So five things to pray for, quickly. Pray for a heart of mercy. Pray to stay positive in the midst of the negativity of that situation. Pray to not take any criticism or negativity, negativity, negativity personal. Okay, it's, it's not necessarily about you. Pray to see any sin in ourselves that might be contributing to the situation. Right. Clear the log in our own eye first before the speck in the other person. And last thing, pray for hope for the situation. We have a God of hope. He is in control. He can heal all situations. Right? He can restore relationships that we think are beyond restoration. So pray for the situation. Pray for the people involved. Because in Matthew 5 it says, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It's pretty clear. We can't really argue with that one. It's a tough scripture, but it's there. It's there for us to face. So today in the middle of a conflict, you might be in the middle of a conflict today. We have world conflict at the moment, which we can pray for today as well. But you might personally be in the middle of something. You might be sitting there thinking about a past situation that actually, those, that did not go well. I didn't follow any of those principles and it didn't end well. And sometimes we, there are situations that probably might not ever be restored in our lives because of whatever the scenario is. But we can, that can sit on us either in bitterness 
or sadness. Right, so we, we need to deal with those things in our lives too. Or you might just today think, that is great, Julie. I want to take on board that wisdom. So you can pray for that wisdom so that you move forward. So let's, let's stand up today and let's just reflect on this. So if today you are in the middle of a conflict or maybe, as I said, something's burdening you because in the past it hasn't gone well, and then for all of us, we would all want wisdom as we move forward. So um, there was just this little, little saying that caught me during the middle of the term when I was worried about something that was happening and was literally on the back of the toilet door <laughs> in the ladies' loo. Being a Christian school, they've got all these nice sayings there. So this is just a saying. When you turn your worry into worship, God will turn your battles into blessings. So as we battle with whatever is in our lives at the moment, if you are in the middle of a battle with a particular person, then we can take that to God. Right? We can take it to Him in worship. We can take it to Him in prayer. So let me pray for everybody today. Um, if you have a situation you would like some specific prayer for, then I'm very happy to do that after the service. There'll be myself and other leaders here who can pray for people. But I'm going to pray those things over everybody here because we know that all of us at some point are going to have to grapple with this. So let's all pray together. Dear Lord, I pray for all of us that as we face conflict in our lives, that you will give us a heart of mercy. Lord, that we will be gracious in our dealings with all people. Lord, help us to be positive in those situations when they get on top of us and we're feeling really negative. Lord, help us to not take things personally, to know that we are loved by you and that our love, um, that your love does not depend on any other circumstance, any other person, that we can stand in love with you regardless. Father, help us to see if we are contributing to a situation in any way. What is it that we need to change in our lives? What's, what are we missing? What assumption are we making? What are we missing in the perspective of the other person? Help us, Father. Father, we say sorry for those things that we have done that have caused conflict for other people. And Father, I pray for hope. For anybody today who's dealing with a difficult situation, Father, I pray that you'll give them a measure of hope today to see that there is a way forward. Father, that you'll give them wisdom, that you'll give them the words to say. Father, you'll show them when to say things, maybe when not to say things. Father, for all the parents here, Lord, that you will bless them richly in their parenting. Lord, that they can stand on these principles, that they can enrich their, their, their children's lives and they can teach their children how Where you found this service, if you scroll down, there is a prayer there.
if you're online and you would like to pray that prayer today, then please, it's there for you to pray. It'll help you start a relationship with God. And there's a button there that you can click. If you do do that, let us know because we can help you with the next step of that. Thank you to, for um, listening today. <laughs> I hope that's some food for thought. Um, pray for wisdom in whatever situations come up with. We can't escape it, but God is with us. That's probably the most powerful in all of this. God is with us when we go through these tough things. And as what was that saying again? When you turn your worry into worship, God will turn your battles into blessings. So thank you. We're going to finish with the team. If you would like prayer, then don't hesitate to come up.